What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 83 of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the Star Wars, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy, thank you. Do not compare you with that shit show of the franchise. You've uh, got it right behind you. That was my best thing because... Uh, <laughs> I'm oh, Waffle House. House. Is that Waffle House? Waffle oh, okay, House. I couldn't read it properly. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I did not want to be associated with, you know, with their more recent work. It's a little bit like Kevin Spacey. I know. I, I do actually have a topic for discussion regarding Star Wars, um, but I figure we can we can say that because we're on a little bit of a horror-ish kind of vibe at the moment, and Star Wars, unfortunately, will never die. So um, I'm well, sure it's very able- very appropriate. It's kind of a zombie franchise. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's always coming back. It's, it's true. No matter how hard they try and kill it. Now, this episode, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about our next movie in our chain movie series, following on from the what I thought was the delightful Brothers Bloom. Travis did not enjoy it, but that co-starred Rachel Wise, who had a small bit part in the 1994 Stephen Norrington-directed Death Machine. I thought I was being funny by picking this one. Yeah, you you didn't know how 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 affected I didn't, I, this movie was going to be. Know what to expect from this movie, but um, this is Rachel Weisz's uh, film debut. So yes, yes, and strangely, she is possibly the best part about it and that's saying something about bread it uh, really is it's interesting isn't it like sometimes you go back i was was talking to someone on the weekend um about um so i had my bubble buddy come over on the weekend susie uh Mm -hmm. host of a throwback one of my other shows um and uh we ended up watching some uh unsolved mysteries while we're eating dinner because why not um and i mentioned that matthew mcconaughey was in an episode once of unsolved mysteries uh Oh shit, was he? Uh, but you know how they used to have reenactments of a crime? Oh uh, fuck yes. And Matthew McConaughey was in one of the reenactments of one of the crimes back in the yeah. I guess like 80s, early 90s or something. Um and it's like one of his very, very earliest uh, acting jobs. Mm. Um and uh so sometimes you see someone like that and you go, Wow, uh you didn't see anything in that little performance mm-hmm. there that said he was going to be an Academy Award winner one day and one of the biggest movie stars in the world because it was yeah. a really quite an awful segment. His acting was woeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you see stuff like that in their film debut and you go, so who, who knew it? Who thunk it? Yeah, um, yeah. But then you see Rachel Weisz in this film, and it is one line, really. Yep. Um, but she's magnetic, isn't she? Yep. She's got, I mean, she's a beautiful, she's a beautiful woman. Um, yep. Not that doesn't denigrate her acting ability, but she is gorgeous. That yeah. doesn't hurt. Um, and she has an eyebrow ring, which is interesting. An interesting yeah, look, an interesting look for her. But it was 1994. Yeah. I True. had an eyebrow ring in 1998, so that was still going around. <laughs> by then. She, she was ahead of the times. Ahead of the times. Um, so she she really had one line. She, she was so pretty, and she's had that. She has a magnetic screen presence in in this mm. film, which sounds ridiculous when you see she's on screen for probably less than 30 seconds. Yes. With one line, yet I'm going to agree with you here and say, A, even if you didn't know that she was going to be a movie star, I think that little bit was probably a fairly memorable scene in the film. Yeah. For some reason, just because she has a presence. Um, Mm. And now we do know she's a big movie star. It does certainly. I was thinking to myself, "Mm, she plays junior executive in this film. I'm like, I hope I pick her when when she comes on screen. Like, it was going to be embarrassing. Yeah. 
if we get to the, uh, rev- talk about the movie and be like, did you see the people break your feet? She was in the background, you know, on the se- third seat from the left. Like, <laughs> like as soon as you like, bang, okay, yeah, that, yeah, there was no missing her. She's so it's a long way of agreeing with you that she is absolutely one of the best mm. things in what I think could be one of the worst films I've ever seen. It is definitely up there for one uh, some of the worst movies that we have ever had to watch. I mean, we, we watched some Drek. We have we, genuinely watched some real horror shit, disgustingly bad stuff. I mean, who could forget Jurassic Shark? Yeah, yeah. I I kind of think that was better than this. I think this was better. This so. Let's give it the proper proper juice. Yeah, let, let's let's get get into it properly, shall we? Let's get into Death it Machine from nineteen ninety four, directed mm. by Stephen Norrington. Probably we talked a little about him last week. Best known for directing the first Blade film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also directed um, the, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which mm-hmm. was a big movie, um, yes. uh, horribly unsuccessful, but mm-hmm. it was it could be cast. Yep. Uh, it stars. Um, uh, apart from Rachel Weisz, uh Brad DeRiff yep. and Eddie Pouget, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, highest built stars, and the um, William Hootkins. Of course, he's the guy who's been in everything. He was Porkins in Star Wars. <laughs> he was in Indiana Jones. He was um, in fucking Batman. He's been in everything. He's that guy. Go, wait oh. a minute. <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah. He's a, aren't you that guy? Yeah, so, the, the plot. Shank Armaments is experimenting with the ultimate fighting machine, which is part human, part machine. So far, the Hardman project has been unreliable and has killed a number of innocent people. The genius behind this project is Jack, uh, Brad Drift, who yep. lives in the world of models, toys, and magazines. When he is fired by Kale for killing a few corporate officers, he unleashes the ultimate killing machine called World War Beast against Kale and those who would help her. Yeah. Now, that's actually kind of a succinct way of explaining what the story is. I don't know if the movie does that good a I, job. It, it really doesn't. Um, <laughs> it, it's So when you, you – this is a funny movie. Like, I think they were trying to be funny a lot of the time. I think there were things in here that were supposed to be jokes, mm. but I was struggling to sort of go, oh, that's not very – funny and it seems out of tone with the rest of the film yeah it seems like a weird hodgepodge of ideas of oh let's take a little bit of robocop let's take a little bit of terminator let's take a little bit of this horror and this horror and just chuck it all in a pot and make make movie jambalaya and it it just it's a mess it oh really God. is. It's all over the shop. I mean, probably yeah. the film it most rips from is RoboCop. Yeah. I mean, it's the most obvious. Um, yeah. There are definite nods to Terminator. I mean, at one point, one of the characters actually says, I'll be back. Yeah. Um, so it's, but then again, it's full of these weird nods. Just listen to his character names. So William Hootkins, who pre we talked about a moment ago, plays a character called John Carpenter. Mm, geez, I wonder who you're talking about there. Yeah. We have a Sam Raimi. A, yep. a Yutani, a Wayland, and a Scott Ridley. Yep. So, I mean, <laughs> and Brad Dourif plays Jack Dante, which I assume is a reference to Joe Dante, yeah. um, the film director who um, did Gremlins, didn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, so, he did a whole bunch of things. So, you know, like, it, what? 
This is like something a first year student in like screenwriting would do. Like it's like naming. This is a a fan movie, a student movie. It's weird, right? At one point, um, there was a uh, a close up of a part of a machine that was a, I guess, part of a the the ultimate killing machine weapon, and it had um, Cameron on it, Mm. which I assume was a reference to James Cameron. Um, And like, I'm all good with my your film references here and there, but like. This how it takes it to a new level yeah. um, that I'd never seen before. And I'm like, you tiny, what? Um, yeah. So, yeah, there are some, it's full of references to other stuff, even in the actual character names. Yeah. Um, and as you sort of said, we, we see Robocop, we see Terminator. What I sort of told somebody, I was describing it to someone today, was like, if you uh, went out and got, um, picked the worst ideas the worst parts of the best action films of the 80s and 90s, but boiled them down and made them about 20% dumber, you yeah. might have something that's approaching Death Machine. Um, yeah. So the movie starts with a scene of a, I guess, what is the, for one better term, cyborg version of a killing machine, had yeah. malfunctioned, killed a bunch of people at a diner, and he's now in an upstairs bathroom uh, punching the wall and mal- malfunctioning. And then uh, your mate William Hootkins comes in and says, oh, he's going to freaking, you know, he's going to collapse. And he just sort of goes nuts and falls over. Um, that's probably about where I finished being able to can follow what was going on in the story because it got chaotic yeah. there. It was, and it got chaotic really quickly as well. And, and the problem with this is that, uh, now, I'll give a hand up. The IMDb says there are three or four different cuts of this film. And oh, well, the, the director's final cut is obviously going to be the one that makes it make all the sense. Well, that, that, that really just does clarifies which Brad the Riff is it really a dream. Um, <laughs> and here's, a, here's a, r- a radical idea Was the War Beast actually a robot? Whoa. Oh, mine. Whoa. The the war beast was actually the victim all along. Whoa! <laughs> you know, it's um, it was all a dream or something. Um, so yeah. apparently Norrington was never particularly happy with the mm. final result of the film. Um, mm. not, I am not surprised. Yeah. So <clears throat> I can put down to the fact that I saw the two hour version, which sounds like it's probably about the longest one out there. Mm. Um and. I got. I thought every minute about two hours, but yeah, because it feels like one of. It's interesting. Sometimes you see a film where it's obviously been troubled, and yeah. they've just sort of cobbled together. We've talked about these before, mm. where they've cobbled together footage that they've got to make something resembling a final product which they can sell. Yeah, this doesn't quite feel like that. It just no. feels like it was really badly written or directed, or because yeah. the, the story doesn't flow like. You know, uh, things just seem to happen. So after our opening scene with a crazy robot bashing the wall, we move to uh, evil corporate, you know, evil, evil corporation number 174. Mm-hmm. Which does not believe in good lighting. No, it doesn't. Though I found the aesthetic interesting. Yeah. Um, and probably one of it. That's the good thing I'll say about this. It looked, I liked the way it was shot a lot of the time. I liked the sets. <laughs> I liked the sets. I thought they were often interesting um the, the tight corridors and some of the corporate corporate scenes reminded me a little bit of brazil 
Um, yeah, yeah. So that's high praise that is undeserved. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the corporation, like, and there are people who are protesting outside, and we meet Ellie um, Pouget. Uh, is that her name? Uh, yes. Yeah, Ellie Pouget's character, Kale, walking through this huge crowd of protesters into the building. But we don't really understand why they're protesting. Or... Oh, no, we do, because there's that one that suddenly we, we – little do we know up until basically the very end that the context of children – is kind of a trigger point for the character of Kale. But we have not been shown anything about children's deaths in the lead up to this. And it's only, uh, wait, what? Huh? Wait, uh, you, the protest kind of scenes would have made sense if they were like about something that had just like the fact that this um, cyborg Robocop thing had gone out and killed a dozen people yeah. at, a, at a diner. Maybe, you know, the protest should have been about, hey, your company's thing. Went out and killed people. That would have made sense because we just saw that. Instead, this is dialer protest. Yeah, you know, like we <laughs> were talking about something that we didn't see and don't understand really what's going on. Yeah, uh, why they're upset and why is she walking through it? Um, she goes to board meetings and then we just, you know, she oh no, my co-, and then she sort of very quickly finds out actually I work for an evil corporation. Yeah, who'd have thunk it? Um, and then. Before you know it, she has to go and talk to, to Brad DeRiff. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, it doesn't, they get the whole, and I'm making it, I, I am paraphrasing here. There's a lot of screen time that this happens in, and none of it seems to make a whole lot of sense. She goes, has to go down to the engineering department, which involves a lot of people welding, apparently, yeah. um, to talk to Brad DeRiff, who yells at her for being in his room. Yeah, there's, there's, there's that weird child's man-child kind of thing going on and like when she's walking through it's like quintessential early 90s this is a rebel child kind of things like it's spray painted graffiti on his room and for some reason even though you it spends an exorbitant amount of time slowly moving towards this big door that says keep out dante on it (laughs) it it's it then just cuts away and then cuts to a close-up of the word Dante, because just in case you didn't see it in the last 37 seconds, it's right there. And then it, she goes it, in it. and she accidentally kicks a box that just so happens to be labelled highly explosive. It's like, hmm, plot device? <laughs> um, and you're right, it's it's very, very 90s. The film itself is very 90s. Actually, the reference to another film, the, there are, to cut, jump ahead a little bit, there are, I guess, a third group of people in the plot here. I mean, as things get down oh, to yes. business, as we get down to business, Kale tries to fire Dante, Brad Dourif's character. By the way, I think Brad Dourif is actually pretty good in this. Uh, He's always pretty good. I mean, we, I watched, actually, interesting, this is the second Brad Dourif film I've watched this week um, on Sunday for my, one of my other podcasts. I had to watch The Graveyard Shift. Oh, I'm glad I chose that not to be the one that we were going to go to. Thank God, because that is a... <laughs> I will say it's a neck and neck between the Graveyard Shift and Death Machine about the worst film I've seen this year. <sighs> to go back a step, on Saturday night, we watched, for the throwback, we watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, a 90-minute film. Yep. On Sunday, I watched Graveyard Shift, a 90-minute film. Bill and Ted felt like it was over. Like that. Yep. 
for a graveyard shift, every couple of minutes I was clicking the button going, how much long? Oh, was another half an hour of me? How is that only be 10 minutes? How is the timer going up? I don't get it. Uh, and, um, and, but Brad Dourif was one of the best things about that film as well. Yeah. Uh, he was really terrible. He was really, sorry, really good in a really terrible film. I think he was good in this again. His character doesn't make any sense. So you kind of wonder if he just, just ad libs. But um, yeah. I was going to go again. There is a third force. And if you have Brad Dourif's character, we have Kale, played by Ellie Pouget. Kale mm-hmm. tries to fire him. He fires up the war beast death robot to, as in revenge. There is a mm-hmm. third group of people in this um, in this uh, group of protagonists, if we were, mm-hmm. who are yes. some sort of terrorist humanitarian human, group. human eco terrorists. Something, but yeah, we sort of meet them early on, planning something, but we're not really privy to what. Yeah. Um, and though they are kind of early nineties dudes, they were kind of like. They kind of wouldn't have looked out of place in Point Break. Yeah, kind of. So, like, I, I think just because of the random face paint on one of them, uh, what was it, uh, U, uh, Utani, I think, um, he, it, it was almost as if um, it was a weird crossover of Point Break with Waterworld. With a sprinkle of Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. Um, and- Witness me! <laughs> You know, like they were wearing the, the cut-off shorts and the vests and the, the hairstyle and everything was very mid-90s. Yeah. And just to go back again, sort of like in Brad room, as we sort of, uh, the plot sort of indicated, he lives in a world of, um, what did it say, action figures and comic books or something. Video uh, games. Video games, so, yeah. Um, and, uh, and he killed it in a world of models, toys, and magazines. Yeah. Um, so he has, like, He-Man figurines, and he'll, like, he'll play out scenes when he's doing his dastardly thing with his yeah. figurines, and you're like, yeah, that was kind oh, of really funny. I didn't see you play with your dolls again. <laughs> it's kind, of like, it's kind of a thingy, very, very 90s sort of moment there, and I kind yeah. of had a nostalgic feeling for that, but that went away pretty quickly. Um, yeah. <laughs> because stuff just keeps happening, and there isn't any of it. These human eco-terrorists, I think that they kind of lay out, and it's really nice how they do it. It's so fluid. It's so natural. So like, okay, it's almost game time. Let's go over the plan one more time, just for the audience. Exposition. <laughs> and it's, it's literally them basically doing a <clears throat> pseudo-high-tech version of breaking into the Nakatomi Plaza and stealing the tech bonds and then setting off a bomb. And and I, think, okay. I, think, I think Yutani is it? Yutani looked actually like one of the terrorists from Die Hard. So yeah, uh, kind of. It was it was it was weird. And th- this is a giant tech company that is creating weapons of mass destruction, monster machines to destroy. And yet these three guys, not disguising their uh, weapons or explosives or anything, they just randomly in one of the scenes just turn up and say like, "Hello." <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anybody works in this building apart from uh, Ellie Puget, William Hoopkins, and the guy who gets killed. Um, yeah, it's, that's it. <laughs> and, and then, of course, Brad DeRiff, who works in the basement. Um, everybody else seems to have gone home early for the day. Um, so, basically, uh, the Brad DeRiff's character, uh, Dante, has a big 
thing. It looks like a mobile phone from about 1990. Uh, yeah. <laughs> has to hold a button on to stop the warbies from killing shit. Yeah, it's a, it's a, he, he very clearly explains to, uh, what's his name, um, to Richard Brake's character, Scott Ridley, who's the first one to die from the Warbeast, that um, it's a dead man switch. And if he lets go, the, the machine goes crazy. Never once does he explain how the dead man switch and not using the dead man switch, the Warbeast is able to differentiate between him and anyone else. Yeah, now maybe Someone. maybe we're smoking those cigarettes that they had in or the tag things that they had in stream. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's Eco Warriors, the most ridiculous doobies I've ever seen. It, it's one of them. It just and it gets it, it it's a sequence. I, I'm sure it must be for comedy because one guy walks in and he offers one of the guys a pretty standard, fairly large spliff, and then he returns to the other guy one that literally looks like a carrot and then he goes to the next guy and then gives it to the other guy and he's got like a, a, a potato with about six stuck into it like, <laughs> what uh that's what, I mean. that's what i mean like the tone of this film is strange yeah i mean i complained last week about the brothers bloom having a bit of a funny tone at time but that was like fucking citizen kane compared to me like, <laughs> like, i mean is it a horror film? I mean, it's fine for a horror film to be both horrifying, scary, and funny. Um, yeah. If you look at something like Scream, um, you know, or Evil Dead, Evil Dead, some of the early Nightmare on Elm Street films. Um, yeah. yeah, Freddy Krueger has some good lines. Yeah, you know, so it can be funny, scary, and horrifying. That's a fine. We're happy with that mix. But yeah, this one doesn't anywhere near get it right. Like it, it those films have really the successful version of those films have very uh, firm ideas about when it's being funny, when it's being horrifying, when it's being scary. Cabin in the Woods is another great example where it does Absolutely. all Absolutely, yes. Um, and it does it in a really clever way. This one is just in a dumb, stupid way where like the jokes just seem to fly in at very odd moments and not land as well. I, I don't. Maybe you can explain it to me. Like um, the character of Sam Raimi, played by John Sharian, he comes in and he's pretty pretty good at being level. That you kind of think, oh, he's he's gonna be the the co hero to to the female Kale hero. This is there's elements of it trying to emulate um, Ripley versus the Alien from Alien movies, especially with the the way that the war beast looks and that weird rotating wolf doggy head kind of thing. It's a little bit alien-esque. Yeah. Um, and he kind of comes in and he's like butch bravado, strong, a little bit quippy. So like, yeah, look, blanks uh, in the guns and stuff. And then suddenly I don't understand why this happens. He has his brain downloaded to a floppy disk and suddenly he has the inability to talk at a normal speed. I know, like, like <laughs> Why does he shout every single I, I was line? Like, if, if that's what they've programmed super soldiers to do, there's your problem. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, super soldiers over there, we can go kill him. Like, I mean, they're shouting. It's, 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 it was a very – I did notice that as well. Um, I, I would also like to observe that if you are able to have your brain downloaded onto a floppy disk – 
what does that say about the capacity of your mind that they can fit <laughs> it on a fucking floppy disk, right? Yeah, I know. Um, it's so good. You can barely fit um, Call of Duty on a one terabyte hard drive these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if you could put, like, um, your Hangman game on a, on a floppy disk back in the day, but that was about Ooh, it. That's pushing it. A couple of megabytes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, that, I did notice that, like he was shouting all the time after that. Yeah. That's it. So as you sort of noted, uh, they get their ass kicked by the um, wild beast, the beast machine, whatever it's called. Um, yeah. And it, it, the, what did you think of the actual machine, the, the, the monster? It looked kind of ridiculous, I thought. It was utterly ridiculous. It was – it had a head, which was essentially just a one giant metallic metal jaw that apparently could rotate an eternity around. It never had to rotate back or anything like that. It just kept on turning and spinning. It didn't seem to have much in the way of destructive power when it actually bit something. Because there's a bit where he bit into one guy's shoulder and you think, this machine has been shown to just charge through walls and yeah. climb up all sorts, but it can't just instantly chomp through someone's arm. What it's it's got less power than a pit bull. Um, okay, and, and you never get a good shot of it either. It's no, like, it's it's um. It, they they play very xenomorph in the original Aliens with it. Of we won't show the full thing because the full thing looks ridiculous. We'll have lots of shots of its feet and lots of shots of one or two arms and brief shots of its head. Um, I was sort of uh, one thing I, I often say too. I was actually saying that in, in one of my other podcasts we're, we're about graveyard shift actually because it also has an equally ridiculous monster in it. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, they spend quite a bit of time going, "Here's the fucking monster." Mm. Um, and the famous story is um, always that uh, in uh, in Jaws when Spielberg directed Jaws, they had mm. the mechanical shark and every yeah. intention of showing us quite a bit about mechanical shark, but it kept breaking down. Yeah. It didn't work. So because the shark didn't work, Spielberg was forced to uh, show a significantly less of a shark and probably in, obviously just to Finn because that was more achievable than having the mechanical mm-hmm. shark was busted. In the end, it became much more scary yeah. because the shark, A, looked ridiculous when we did see it. I mean, even in yeah. the 70s, it looked fake. Yeah. Um, but it was more about that, that, that classic horror film idea of it's not what you see, it's what you imagine. Mm-hmm. It's scary. What you make up in your head is more terrifying than seeing a murder in the shower from Psycho. Exactly. So this the classic point. It was, like, it was a, a, a lucky mistake. But, I mean, mm. who knows what would have happened if they had a perfectly functioning mechanical shark? We probably would yeah. have had a very different Jaws. Yeah. This yeah. is maybe trying for something a little bit different. Like we know our our our, mm. um, our 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 monster looks ridiculous mm-hmm. and isn't very convincing. So let's just sh- sh- shaky cam it. So you're only seeing a, a bit of it. So, you know, we, we're sort of maybe going for the same thing. We only see the giant claws coming after yeah. um, uh, Chubby Boy. Um, and but even, even then, those those shots just looked bad. And it looked like weird, sad prototypes to Edward Scissorhands' hands. That yeah. They just, they, and, and they kept on kind of going... And it just looked like the way that it was doing it, it just, I kept on getting reminded of the way my cat just kind of goes and it tries to attack. It was like, 
Oh, it's not very no, precision. It's not very precision, is it? Like, I mean, like, yeah, you look at something like the original Terminator, um, and I mean, you know, a lot of people would criticize would criticize um, Schwarzenegger's acting performance. You know, he wasn't much of an actor at that point. He was so no. come a few years out from being a bodybuilder. But it's obviously a wonderful film with an incredibly talented director and a great Absolutely. script. Just a, but Schwarzenegger's performance. Watch it again, right? His movements in that film are very deliberate. He mm-hmm. doesn't generally run places. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Robert Patrick had a very um, uh, different performance in T2. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a, a terror, what was, it was almost terrifying. It was, a, it comes across like a robot because a robot's mm-hmm. movements, we fit, we get, they don't exist. But I would imagine it'd be fairly deliberate, right? Like, yes, not, we don't, I mean, they don't exist. No, mm-hmm. um, except we listen, when they listen to his show. Um, <laughs> Hello, uh, robot overlords. Um, I know they're probably very busy with the election right now. Um, true. But you know, like again, think of think of that like someone whose movements are minimal but deliberate, mm. and you know, um, you just kind of in that get that sense that it's not wasting things. It's not sh- spraying and praying. Mm. It knows it wants to hurt you. It will hurt you. Yeah. Um, whereas this thing, oh, 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 you know, yeah. like it's not really coming across as a particularly effective death machine. No, no, it's really not. And we get a lot of POV shots from the War Beast's point of view. And it seems like it's, we get a throwaway line where apparently it's hunting on the scent of fear and pheromones, but that's not entirely explained. But it looks like it's just working on um, heat vision. And it is not good quality heat vision, even for, you know, this is, this came out in 1994. So after Predator and we got good sequences of following someone with heat vision and it's, it, that still looked better than this. I, I thought the um, computer graphics were interesting. Um, it was a choice. If there was, um, the uh, eco terrorists have a computer animated section where they we talk through their their plan to was it them or somebody was talking the plan to go through the uh, it was, yeah it was them. And the old, theirs and and it basically looked like something that had been animated in the same engine that made Wolfenstein three D um, yeah. and a lot of I mean as you sort of said there are a number of um, POV shots from the, the the machine's point of view chasing people. They, again, look like something out of a video game. That that was what I was just going to say, because so many of the noises and things, it sounds like a coin-op arcade machine. And that kind of makes sense for the man-child that um, uh, Dante is supposed to be. But at the same time, when you're trying to elicit that level of fear that someone is being chased down a corridor you don't kind of want the noises from Mario going <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I also found a little bit depressing that the um, you mentioned the first person to get uh, get killed by the machine is um, uh, Richard Brakes Scott Ridley yes. um, and... people would know as Go Chill from Batman Begins okay um, and yeah, he basically runs away from the machine. It probably takes him five minutes to get him. Like, yeah. Like, I would expect a, a, a robotic death machine to be, you know, snappy. Come on. You should be able to move pretty quickly. It's shown to move pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and it's bust through walls. This guy seems to manage to run away from it for quite some time before yeah. it catches up with him. So I was like, I would consider that a, an unsuccessful test um, of, of the uh, <laughs> war beast abilities because – 
Yeah, I would have reckoned that she would have caught him in no time at all. Uh, and I don't know what they were trying to do with that. Like, were they trying to get tension going? Uh, it, it... Yeah, they didn't. They didn't succeed in that for sure. Now we've we've talked a lot about the War Beast because that's kind of the primary monster. But there is another machine in this movie, and it comes in in the second half. And we did tease it. It is Sam Raimi when he has his brain mind downloaded to to the floppy disk, and that is of course the part of the Hardman Project. Why on earth did they give the Hardman headgear that stupid early 90s moustache kind of little little bit that just sat there you're gonna protect the soul patch you know yeah it's someone's not grabbing it it's like it's it's, it's the most painful part you can't it's, it's an important part it's so of the armor of all the things that are stupid in this movie you've chosen to concentrate on that one um because it's just so right there and it, it, it doesn't look like um it leaves a head very much unprotected the whole gear so oh he's got the the the, the rubber thing. glasses oh well it's gonna help in case it's some bright light yeah and dust it could possibly help but i don't it's think like, they actually encase the eyes nice, i think so, they're just over. Yeah. He would be. He would be. He would be susceptible to a dust attack. Very <laughs> <laughs> Warbeater had such a thing. A very minimal Pokemon would be able to take out Hardman. It's um, <laughs> yeah. It's it, it. It was an interesting choice, but that that happens yep. at what the hour and twenty minute mark, something yeah. like that. Yep. I mean, you sort yep. of like, how are they going to stretch this for forty minutes from here? Of course, they do. Yeah, but um, it's not a good forty minutes. Um, mm -hmm. so this is um, this is one of the longest two hours I can I can recall. Um, yeah. It um, because the final final you know gets to get to the end. Unlike the film, um, they manage <laughs> the plot. I know people are tense at home and spoiler yeah. alert in case yeah. you are planning on seeing this piece of shit. Um, you know uh, they get away. Yeah, <laughs> they uh, have to blow up the war beast with some random explosive doohickeys mm -hmm. don't look like they do particularly big explosions. So again, yeah. I'm going to call that a second failed test on behalf of a war beast, because mm -hmm. I would expect a mechanical war beast to, uh, that's going to be sent to war zones to, uh, although to be fair, it can take a lot of, um, standard rounds being fired at it. And those people banging it on the head with a rifle. Yeah. Those magazines on those machine guns that they had, they went on and on and on and on and on and on. And this really, this is like a minute of them just holding the trigger down. Fine. They were obviously <laughs> reloading off screen. They might have cut. It's just this poor little person on the side just yeah. um, And I mean, even the, the, the final, uh, you know, the final scene where they managed to, um, uh, get uh, Brad DeRiff uh, eaten by the robot was... Yeah. I mean, it was predictable, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it wasn't a particularly good end of a film. No. I mean, I was sort of hoping for a bit of payoff, like um, you know, maybe <laughs> a la Alan Rickman falling off Nakatomi Plaza or something, something like that. yeah. But no, we just got no. a simple... Uh, you know, switcheroo of the uh, the mobile phone do hickey that stops the machine from eating him, and yeah, and he swears at her. And uh, what did you make of the? There was a very strange relationship between Kale the mother, and, the mother son do, thing. But also, at one point, he describes her as "Don't call my girlfriend a liar." 
Uh, yeah. None of that makes sense to me. It was, it was like, okay, he's being a petulant child when we first meet him. And then off camera, apparently he makes the decision, decision that she's his uh, girlfriend. And no one, we don't hear or see any development of that kind of psychosis in him or anything like that. Because Brad Dourif just randomly turns up. And he'll go away for like 25 minutes and then just kind of walk around a corner. So I'm like, hey, mommy. <laughs> He's really weird. And yeah, his girlfriend. And then it's that mother thing. And then he keeps on talking to her and putting her into this state of complete shock paralysis because he's read her file where apparently in this corporation, they have details like her putting a, a baby's arm in a blender. Is that well, what they were actually talking about? They do have... A, he did manage to find her porno magazine. So, I mean, they obviously hold detailed files on. Yeah. It was it was so weird. And, like, they have detailed information about the relationship with her parents. And, um, yeah. It, yeah. It, um, it, I want to say, yeah. though, I feel like Ellie Puget actually does pretty well. Like, Yeah, I, she, she, she doesn't come out of this bad, that's for sure. I was like, I think he had deserved a much better script than this. And mm. despite the fact I'm saying I didn't find that I didn't, I struggled to understand the relationship between Dante and Kale and with a girlfriend, mother, daughter, mother, son, it was weird. Mm-hmm. But that weirdness could have really been used in the film's favor, right? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Brad DeRiff and, and uh, Ellie Pouchet actually had some chemistry there. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'd agree that, with that. that weird vibe within their relationship could have been used to create a really creepy sort of vibe between the two of them. Like, is this creepy, disgusting guy who's you know, creeping on this, uh, you know, high-performing woman? And, you know, yep. uh, that could have been used to create something very interesting and, and, and a, a real tension in that relationship yeah. and a real malevolence between the two of them. But <laughs> that's to be beyond what yeah. we're dealing with here. But I was a bit surprised to see that she's really done sweet fuck all else other than this. Yeah, pretty much. And honestly, most of the people involved, I think that Brad Dourif and Richard Brake, who played Scott Ridley, are the two people that... And Rachel Weisz, they're the people that actually have gone on to be faces you go, oh, yeah, I know them. And even Brad Durris, probably not a household name. I've talked to people about him and gone, oh, Brad Durris in this. And they'll be like, who? And I'll be like, ah, he played Grimmer Wormtongue yeah. in Oliver Rings. Yeah, yeah. He's that guy. So, like, every, you you can easily pick out a role that he's done that people go, oh, yeah, I know that. They don't know who he is particularly. But, yeah, it's... He did Chucky's voice, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which um, you know, it's that... I was kind of going, I went through everyone who had a picture on the cast list of IMDb on this to try to find some weird, random fucking horror movie to pay <laughs> you back for this. And it's, I, I was able to find some really weird shit, but then it was just a dead end. It's like, okay, we, we, I, I let us down a train where there's nothing. I wasn't going to do that. So I did stick with Brad DeRiff for our next, next session. That uh, is good. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he's done a lot of stuff, um, yeah. and he generally does. Uh, I'm not he's not unknown to do the odd horror film here and there. If you want to stick to mm-hmm. the horror thing, mm-hmm. I feel like we've given this film enough 
air in the sense that it's more than enough. Really, one of the most god awful things. I, I mean, like, it's half an hour, forty minutes too long. Mm-hmm. Um, it's badly written. It's questionably shot for most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real strange piece of work. This one, yeah. I'm shocked. This has got a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Yeah. Um, wow. Maybe it's a cult film. I mean, maybe. Things I liked about it, like I said, I kind of like the aesthetic of the building because, like I said, it kind of reminded me of Brazil in this sort of weird corporate sense. Um, I like Brad Dourif's performance. I like parts of Ellie Puget's performance. Mm-hmm. I like the kind of bizarre mid 90s aesthetic of some of it. Like, that was kind of. Um, nostalgic for me but that was probably the list okay so yeah that there's wow there's someone gave it a 10 out of 10 i'm going to read their review this is uh by gecko 14 uh cyberpunk plus brad drift equals great result i really don't know what i was thinking when i picked up this undercover gem from ye olde rental shop but i sure as hell don't regret picking it up Death Machine, even though the name sounds trashy, the movie itself is not. I'm going to stop there because it goes on for a long time. Wow, it <laughs> really, really does. Uh, yeah. If I had 10 thumbs, I'd put them all up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, like what you like, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, like some people like bad film. It's, um, mm. uh, I, I, have, I have my friend Steve is probably really enjoy this piece of crap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, for one, am very glad it's done. Uh, where are we going next? We are going to the original 1988 cult classic, Child's Play. Yeah. I have never actually watched this. I've never seen it either. Mm. I've seen the remake where they got Mark Hamill to do the voice of Chucky. And mm, he's he's pretty good. as He's always good as a psychopathic voice. But the movie overall is not great. However... Uh, Child's Place spawned so many sequels, spin-offs, um, offshoots, all sorts of stuff. It's it's a it's one of the true titans of retro horror, I think. So I'm curious to to go to it and see what's happening. It's directed, Catherine... directed by Tom Holland. So yeah, yeah it's interesting to see that he's not, he's a bit older than he looks, apparently. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's that's where we're going to be going next week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there were so many possibilities for me to go with horror and Brad Dourif. I did momentarily think Alien Resurrection, but then I thought better of it because going to Alien Resurrection would have taken us to Ron Perlman, which got, would have got us very easily onto some of the Guillermo del Toro horror stuff, which is cool. But uh, alas, well, I think you've done well. Um, with I'm I'm interested to see a film that. Yeah, I've, I've never seen before. I know it's like a really popular property, and um, yeah, uh, it's it, 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 just to see. I, I don't know a lot of the names in this film apart from Brad. So, um, oh, Chris Sanderson, man. Uh, okay, he was Prince Humperdinck in Princess Bride. <laughs> well, okay, right. Um, the- oh, you're su- you're such a broken-hearted man. <laughs> I like that film, but I mean, who would remember the guy who played Upper Dick? There's a couple other fairly well-known actors in that movie. That's true. That's true. Under a giant. I uh, do. I do also have a, a, a request for the next step going on, and it is uh, following Chris uh, Sarandon. 
to the original Fright Night. Well, so I've just that, that, that because that's uh, straight there. I've not, not ever seen Fright Night either. So mm. uh, I was a sheltered child who wasn't allowed to watch horror films. So um, that's also was, directed by Tom Holland as well. Yeah, there was actually a fairly good remake of Fright Night with um, David Tennant and um, what's his face, uh, Anton Yelchin, um, I believe, that was actually surprisingly good. So if people want to see that, that that's a good option. But uh, I'm uh, curious. About Catherine Hicks is the uh, female lead in Child's Play. Mm -hmm. She was in Star Trek Four. There we go. I don't think go. that qualifies as a horror film, though, so I don't think we'll be right. It does, but for different reasons. I like that film. <laughs> I think it's okay. I think it's, it's too popular to shit in that film. But anyway, we're not talking about Star Trek. What else you got for us? Yeah, well, I, um, keeping kind of with the horror theme, I checked out the first couple of episodes of Ratchet on Netflix. So this is a um, new series based on One Flew Over's Cuckoo's Nest, sort of a backstory correct. of uh, the um, the Academy Award-winning performance by, what was her name again? Was it Catherine something? Um, Ooh, now you're... Uh, anyway, the, the role of, Cat, uh, of Nurse Ratchet, what, Louise Fletcher was yes. the actress who played Nurse Ratchet in that film. Have you seen that film? Yes. Love it. It's a classic. Absolutely, yeah. How does Ratchet hold up? Oh, well, it's a Ryan Murphy, Sarah Paulson joint, and they have worked together quite a lot on uh, American Horror Story, and they have got, they work very well together. They've got a very specific kind of style of telling their horror anthology series of American Horror Story, which is some of the best and some of the worst horror that you will see on TV. Uh, depends on the season that you're watching. Uh, Sarah Paulson is always phenomenal. I love it a bit. Um, and Ryan Murphy has got his own style, and that style of American Horror Story, the style, literally the stylized aesthetic of the show, the way, the pacing of it, it is very, very reminiscent of his work with American Horror Story. Um, I don't know if I would kind of look at it and go, oh, yeah, this is a logical prequel, so to speak, of One Flew Over the Cookies Nest's Nurse Ratched character because it really feels not. This this sets her character up as really weird, twisted and broken in far too early of a time. I don't know if this is going to be a limited series, so they wanted to kind of just get to the point nice and quick, but it's... It's an unusual show that it's not bad, but I feel like they haven't done, they haven't really done anything particularly innovative with the character that Louise portrayed in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. My first reaction is you sent me the, uh, the uh, trailer to me on Facebook mm. a couple of weeks ago and said it looked good. I mean, I mean, it does look beautiful. I haven't watched it yet. Mm. It looks gorgeous. Um, and, you know, Sarah Paulson, <laughs> love Sarah Paulson. Um, but my first reaction on this is this is yet another example of how we now live in the post-creative era. Mm. Um, should we create a new show? I mean, American Horror Story, I'm not a massive fan, but, I mean, at least it's original, sort of. Um, it plays on classic horror tropes, but it's its, yeah. own, it's, its own IP. Mm -hmm. um, whereas... Was there anybody asking for a prequel series on who, how Nurse Ratched became Nurse Ratched? Mm. No, there wasn't. 
Yeah. Um, if you want to tell a horror story, could you maybe come up with your own? It's about yeah. to about a, a you know you could have rebranded as something fucking else because from what I can tell, it's been a long time since I've seen one flew over his cookies nest. Mm. I remember Nurse Ratchet being kind of sadistic. Yeah, not a freaking psychopath monster. That's that's the big miss for me with this is, I think if they had literally called it anything else, given her just any other name it would be better than what it actually is because maybe it's because I love one flew over the cookies nest so much. And the character of nurse Ratched was so chilling in that movie. And it also has been parodied and made fun of in stuff like, <laughs> um, the bloody episode of Futurama where Bender goes to the mental asylum with, with Fry and they've got a weird nurse Ratched there. It's, it's a kind of a joke. I feel like that's kind of detrimental to what they're trying to do with this because it's an interesting character that they put forward. Um, but it just, I cannot connect it to the character that I have, I grew up with. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm being a bit out of line here by not having seen the, the TV mm -hmm. show yet, but it kind of, it, it, I don't know how you take a psychological horror, well, psychological thriller really or drama that was, one flew over the cookies nest, but quite a cerebral film. And go now we're going to take one of the characters who was kind of a prick, yeah, a sadistic asshole, and now we're going to make her a, a feature of a horror story. Yeah, it it really there's. I mean, I've only three episodes in, but I don't know if I'm going to go back because I just find it very disconnected and kind of sterile. It's Sort of like okay it's sarah paulson in this interesting creepy role which i have seen a thousand times but this character seems a little bit empty and shallow compared to the work that she has done in so many other productions it feels less than her and i don't know if this is maybe because it was kind of rushed to market or something for netflix because they just wanted to get it out and it should have spent more time in in development but you know it's it's the creative team essentially coming off of american horror story which is has got a consistent lineage of quality and sarah paulson has won golden globes and things like that for her performance here's, here's the thing is that i don't think american horror story is very good i know people love it um and they enjoy it but people enjoyed mine can't so, um, <laughs> you know, uh, people enjoy Big Bang Theory. They enjoy Nickelback. Um, I, I, I don't think it's particularly good horror. I think it play. Like I said earlier, look, I'll give it props. It is its own thing. It mm. is original. They came out with their own original idea for a horror TV show, which is unusual mm. and traditionally unsuccessful. So mm -hmm. props to them for that. But the actual content is just playing up the same old horror tropes. It's creepy nurses inside a mental institute. Whoa. You know, like, I don't think it's particularly original or interesting television. I, I just think it's, it's you know, it, it's lazy television for people who, who don't uh, actually genuinely like horror films. Um, but so I think this is actually consistent with what they've made before, In the, except the difference is this time they've um, hitched their wagon to a beloved uh, IP in in um, One Flew Over Cookie's Nest and yeah. are basically basking in the reflected uh, brilliance 
of Louise Fletcher's performance and the source material um, that was that that made that film. Um, they're basking in a reflection of greatness. They're standing on the shoulders of giants mm. and not achieved anything in their own. If they'd come up with a Nurse Ratched character by themselves from scratch, and that would be something, but they haven't. So I don't – I mean, I know I'm harsh here, but I don't think American Horror Story is particularly amazing. I think it's derivative. And Were you accidentally or purposefully quoting Jeff Goldblum from um, Jurassic Park? That was not a that was an unintentional goal blue. <laughs> but that's they kind of are, right? We've had genius people like um No, it's not nice. you're absolutely I was born and Jack Nicholson Louise Fletcher made this incredible thing forty years ago. Let's just tack our wagon onto that. We'll, we'll buy the IP or we'll license the IP and tack our derivative TV show. I mean it may not be. I, I haven't watched it yet, but to to the um to, to his greatness, and you know we'll get all these plaudits and people will watch us just because of the other the thing that somebody else did was so good. See, I think that the character of Nurse Ratched and how she became this sadistic character in One Flew of the Cookies Nest, seeing that journey and that evolution would be quite interesting or could be quite interesting. But they've gone, yeah, nah. Let's go this way. And given us something very shallow, very empty, with a lot of talented people involved that aren't put, aren't firing on all cylinders. And I, it kind of feels like, all right, well, let, let's make it look amazing because the sets are beautiful. The production quality of this is fantastic. It's really, really wonderful. But in the first couple of episodes, there's nothing in it that's kind of grabbed me by the balls and said, you are going to watch this. You are going to suffer, but you're going to fucking like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I we, we've talked ad nauseum at this point about how Breaking Bad is phenomenal TV, but it's not one that you particularly enjoy watching. You experience it. And there's that kind of genre of TV where you appreciate it and you just go for the ride, even though you do kind of on a certain level feel violated in some way versus you mentioned it before big bang theory and things like that, where it's soft puff, you go in, you know exactly what's going to happen. You're going to do this. It's very paint by numbers and there's comfort and enjoyment in that as well. This it's not sitting anywhere remotely close to any of those. It's not that familiarity of, okay, this is probably what's going to happen. They're dipping their toe into some unusual things. But at the same time, they're not going, yeah, we take, we know exactly the tone we want to set. We are sticking to it. And you either come along with us or you bail. It's, it's yeah. weird. Well, I, I don't know. It was just the impression I got from looking at the trailer, mm. watching the shorts on Netflix. It just kind of feels, I don't think it's for me. I don't, mm. I said, I, it looks a lot like American horror story. And I didn't, You'd be shocked to hear this, considering my last statement, but I wasn't a huge fan of that. So um, <laughs> I suspect this one's probably going to be the same. And like I said, I get a little annoyed, as we have done for some time on this show, but we live in, as I said, a post-creative era. Mm -hmm. Original ideas seem anathema to everybody. We've, everything's got to be linked to some other kind of property yeah. or brand. Um, it was a great conversation between Joe Rogan and Guy Ritchie on the Joe Rogan podcast about that very state and issue and he's like he had an idea for a movie and he had basically ended up slapping the king arthur 
brand on it to get it made. It's so like, okay. And I stand by that movie. I think it's actually a very interesting movie. And it was a disservice to put it in that franchise because if they'd just gone, no, this is its original, unique fantasy movie. These are the rules that we have set up. This is the way we're telling the story. It would be appreciated much much more than it is. And that's Guy Ritchie Ritchie coming off the Sherlock Holmes film, which were tremendously successful. So if Guy Ritchie can't get something fucking made with uh, a major star attached, I mean, Charlie Hunnam, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what what chance does anybody have of getting an original idea over the line? People who can do it are... Chris Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese kind of level. Yeah. People who've got the sweetest deals in Hollywood, right? I mean, if you're... Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, is, um, he's kind of built his career on doing a passion project, then a mainstream movie, then a passion project, then a mainstream movie. And that is kind of working for him because he's, his uh, mainstream movies are at least entertaining, if not particularly good like pacific rim is not great at all it's very boring but it's not difficult to watch it's not a painful movie to to experience um but then you look at pan's labyrinth and the shape of water and it's like they're phenomenal and then even his passion projects like crimson peaks that's a that's a tough movie to love and i'm a big fan of guillermo del toro yeah it wasn't great yeah um but anyway look it's People, my boss at work told me how much he loved it. So, mm. uh, people, other people are connecting with it. It could just be us being fuss pots here. Maybe, maybe. But um, there was another new show on Netflix that came out very recently that I have started watching, and I'm enjoying it far more. Um, it is the anime Dragon's Dogma. This is based on a Capcom game that came out a couple um, few years ago on Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and fairly recently a couple of years ago got a remastering for xbox one and playstation 4 and nintendo switch and all of that stuff and um so they've come up with this um cgi animated um anime series based in the world of that and it's not bad actually the animation it feels a little budget it's certainly not going to win any awards i don't think it's not it's not your traditional um, 2D cell shading or your, when you think of anime, you might think of like Death Note or Naruto or any of the big um, franchises that have kind of broken through the zeitgeist of society. It's, it's, it's a weird combination of that 2D style with relatively cheap um, animation in this thing. Did you, when you were growing up, did you ever watch a terrible Disney um, show called Reboot? No, I don't recall ever hearing of that one. Yeah, it was set in a virtual reality world and it had really bad um, animation and it tried to actually tell some interesting stories, but it was very much designed for kids and it wasn't very good. Um, it's got its own fan base and I probably pissed uh, it has off. a so 7.8 7. out of 10 on IMDb. For, for what? Reboot? Reboot. It's pretty high. I would, I'd say it's a six, six and a half maybe. But anyway, I digress. This show has got, um, I would imagine that it's probably the most convenient way of animating a show relatively cheap and relatively efficiently, particularly considering it, it seems like this has sort of come out of nowhere. 
So maybe it was something that they were able to put together and process and continue working on in the early stages of COVID lockdown. Um, apparently Capcom have got quite a bit of involvement in it and the animation that they use in the show does kind of feel like a Capcom game in, in some ways. That's kind of bizarre 3D but cel-shaded animation style. It, but it's it's interesting. It's it's a hundred percent for adults because in the first episode, a child just gets mercifully picked up by a dragon and swallowed in a brutal way. Uh, in episode two, there's just a woman who just completely is being attacked by these ghouls on the road, and her huge breasts are just flopping around all over the place. It's so over the top. It's stupid, but the story is evolving kind of nicely and i don't want to give anything away because the episodes are nice and short so it's worth just popping in and just having a, you know having a sample of two episodes or three maybe but more than anything it did actually get me back into the game and because there's the, the fight sequences are very much done in the same way that they were able to in the game. And one of the big selling points for Dragon's Dogma when it came out was the fact that you had these giant ogres and uh, minotaurs and um, creatures that would come out and you could literally climb up them, kind of Shadow of Colossus style, and just attack them. And you'd hold on and they'd be thrashing around and you'd be sort of attacking these bastards. It was really good fun. And they capture that quite well in the show and going back to the game, even though it's old and it, I think it came out as very close to when it, Skyrim came out. Wow. Okay. Um, so obviously Skyrim's one hell of a shadow, especially for open, wor uh, open world RPGs. So it didn't get much of the credit that maybe it deserved. What kind but, of game um, is it? It's an open world RPG, fantasy. Um, essentially, like, um, something like... Um, uh... I can't remember the name of it, but um, sorry, continue. No, it's think Skyrim. Okay, because so, right. there are dragons in it, and you you do fight. So Sandboxing. It's yeah. I was thinking more um, like Diablo. No, it's 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 definitely more sandboxy Skyrim style. You can you can freely wander around. It's a in world third person camera view overlooking everything, um, and you can go into these towns and. It's, it's actually really well created and constructed, um, but it, it just feels, even, I imagine that when you would have first played it, it probably felt a little dated, and even now it still feels dated, but it doesn't feel quite as dated as, as it should. It's aging relatively well, I think. Um, but it's, it's an interesting game. I do recommend people giving it a go if you're looking for something to get you through to the next big open world RPG and obviously cyberpunk coming November, but may possibly get delayed because they've recently been in the news about uh, them game tech talk. Really unhealthy for the programmers. I would rather them just say, nope, we're going to delay it, but they want to get it out before Christmas, of course. And before the the new console generations uh, gets it too much of a foothold, I'm sure. Um, for sure, I'm I'm excited to give. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, and he was he's normally someone I would expect to be very excited about um, Cyberpunk, but he was like, 
Um, I, I'll be able to, technically, I think it's November 22nd is the mm. target date, which is ironically right about the target date when our stage three restrictions are supposed to go away. So that's right around when Melbourne should theoretically start getting back into COVID normal. Um, oh, yeah. oh, yes, we're supposed to have a COVID normal Christmas. <laughs> so um, he was like, I don't give a shit about cyberpunk anymore. I can go outside. <laughs> <laughs> All the people I expected to hear him say, but my friend Simon was not the guy. That is an interesting thought, actually, about, about that is, you know, we've got, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X coming out beginning of November, the first half of November, just before Christmas. And that's when, as you say, the like the end of quarantine dates are kind of tentatively put at this early stage. I wonder if people are going to buy these and then the, like, the online vibrancy that we've had, like games like Among Us has been huge on Twitch and taking over and all of these online games and everyone sitting in front of screens. I wonder if it's going to really drop off because people just want to fucking go outside or if they're going to go, no, this is kind of good. <laughs> well, I think it will to a degree. I mean, just to use my friend Simon as an example, I'm sure he won't mind. He loves his hiking hmm. and he's very much looking forward to getting back into it. And I think he's probably going to, I suggest, probably going to OD on it because... He okay. hasn't been able to really do it now for a couple of months, probably the better part of two, three months. So, but I mean, I, I think the good news story for the gaming industry is have a look at what's happening in Europe right now. Yeah, um, that's true. I think Spain had more cases and the highest number of new cases ever. Yes, yeah. Yeah, the UK, shock horror, is not doing well. Uh, they're having massive new case numbers. France is having massive new case numbers. I think some places are doing better than others. Mm -hmm. but a lot of these countries are going back in for wave two. We've had wave two. Mm -hmm. Some have a rest of the country's got away with it today. But, I mean, who knows? It could happen to them. Um, America never got out of wave one. So <laughs> just got to write that wave, man. We never have a wave two. It's just this fucking Patrick Swayze Bell's Beach wave at, in the uh, – in the, you can't know, have a wave two if you haven't finished wave the first one. It's <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I I suggest yes. I surely eventually things will go back to normal mm. uh, to some degree. Though you'd have to wonder, they would have logically you think picked up a lot of new customers, right? So there are probably people out there who've picked up games who maybe said they're not for me, mm. or had not been a gamer for a very very long time. Who mm. bought themselves a switch, yeah. or bought their kids a switch, and borrowed it occasionally for when the kids have gone to bed, right? Yeah, you know, I, it's probably this has probably been that's one of the great ironies of this situation is there for a while there have been many many losers out of the uh, of the pandemic. There have been some huge winners. Mm. Uh, Netflix and streaming services would be some of them. Yep, um, the video games industry, I would imagine, would be another. Uh, a huge, huge winner out of this whole um, mm -hmm. thing. And so you'd have to think they'll hang on to a, a degree uh, of some of those customers. Some of them will go back, will go back to you know, ridiculous pursuits like fitness and outdoors and <laughs> friends and family and having a life. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, There'll yeah. be others who go, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I actually don't really mind good. playing for an hour a week or something. I love that Zelda game I played on the Switch while the kids were in bed. Oh, there's mm. a new one coming out. I, I've got to try that, right? Yeah. I'll get myself a Switch. Absolutely. And I, I start checking the train back to work so I can play on the train. 
Well, we talked about it last week with Xbox buying Bethesda. There's, you can comfortably argue a reason to have all three consoles because of the way that the, their industry is developing and how they're, they're finally have working out their, their own unique identity. Um, and people themselves, the, the, the people that they are trying to sell those products to, have suddenly realized, oh, you know what? I need to find something to do that stops me from feeling depressed or anxious or bad or gets me out of this funk in my brain. Uh, oh, computer games. I can escape into a fantasy world and do this, that, or I can just play stupid games with my friends online, or I can uh, drop into a massive narrative story of blockbuster proportions because there's no movies coming out, or I can't go to the cinema to watch Tenet. That sort of stuff. And people are going to say, you know what? That saved me for six months. That stopped me from being the worst version of myself. So I'm not going to let that go right now. George did cut his hair, by the way. Um, I, I did. He cut his hair. It's a shock. Uh, it was. It's like you know. It's like when Samson cut his hair in the Bible. It's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Are you saying that I've lost my powers? Uh, you know, you make it out what you want. Um, <laughs> and they, on point. Um, uh, I, I just say so you're right though. Like you know, people. I knew I knew someone a few years ago who um, was married to a friend of mine who said video games are stupid; they're for children. Uh, and I'm like, you realize the average age of a gamer at that point was you know, 32 or something, right? Like <laughs> adults play games. There are games specifically designed for adults. I had to have an ongoing argument with her about um, that. I feel like games are an art form. Some mm-hmm. games are an art form, or cap- an art form capable of being as profound as, as every bit as profound as film, uh, for example. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I think I go back to a game like Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, yeah. Go back years now. But, like, the moment when you – spoilers. Um, <laughs> the moment when you find out that you're actually a Jedi was, like, one of the most profound moments in – oh, my God, I'm actually – I get to be a Jedi. I get to have a lightsaber. Um, it was one of the great moments in gaming for me, and I know a lot of people, like um, – I didn't like them, but like the um, the Last of Us games, a lot of people find those games very emotionally profound. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so done well, a game has the capability, from my point of view, to be every bit as moving. Its story can be incredibly moving. Yeah. You know, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, amazing story. Um, you don't even have to go to those blockbuster games. Like I talked about it either on early versions of this podcast but um valiant hearts a a ub arts game from a few years ago phenomenal it's about the first world war and it's a side scrolling 2d thing it looks kind of cute but by the end of it i was crying like a baby it was so moving it was amazing because you are part of that story because you were actually doing stuff you're buying into that story so if you've, got a great, if you've got a great story to tell, a game can be every bit as profound as, as a film can. But she just wouldn't buy it because she had this block in her head that it was Super <laughs> Mario Brothers and Sonic Hedgehog, and that was the the, the, the peak, the, the zenith of game design, right? Like, and she wouldn't mm-hmm. she, she wouldn't even entertain the concept. I'm like, well, how can you say that if you haven't played a video game for 20 years? Yeah, 25 years, right? You, if you haven't picked up uh, and had a go at um, one of these games that are um, Papers, Please, another game, but some a really, really tiny story, but um, tiny little game, but yeah, beautiful really, little game, wonderful story. Pick something up like that, play for a couple of hours, and tell me you're not sucked into the story. Yeah, she wouldn't do it. 
Um, so I would, I mean, and um, she was somebody who really loved live music. So there was a point where I'm going to be sorry. <laughs> there is no live music anymore for this person. So um, yeah. I wonder if someone like that, right, with their main, no cinema, no live music, no theatre, no festivals, you know, no markets, like, uh, and she lives in London now. So, you know, again, they've had a rough time and going back into a rough time of it. Uh, yeah. You know, you're stuck in the house, there's nothing to do. You know, I wonder if someone like that might pick up a, a like I said, if their housemate or their son or their daughter or their brother or sister has a switch. Mm. I'm using a switch because I feel like it's the most accessible um, yeah. console, you know. Then it's not Call of Duty that they're playing. And they pick up and they play a game like Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is very accessible, you know, uh, for somebody who doesn't like video games. And probably the Zelda name, very familiar. Mm-hmm. Someone like that might actually pick up a console and go, oh, that's what Travis was talking about when he said yeah, yeah actually can be moving and, and you know, profound. Exactly. I absolutely agree. And uh, hopefully it'll be the, the catalyst for that long, long hoped for dream of ours of video games being the next uh, gold mine for movies to, to mine and actually give it appreciation. We are getting there, though, right? We're getting there. Like some of these films, like Angry Birds, is very successful. Detective Pikachu was very successful. Sonic was very True. successful. True. First, you make the money, then comes the power. You got to make the money first. <laughs> you know, like you got to you got to make the once they start making money, right? Then you got people who are maybe willing to take a little bit more of a chance on them. So True. it took Batman to make. I mean, Batman did both. It made money and took a chance, but. In this case, I'm happy with them making money. Then the next time someone comes along with a video game property and goes, no, I don't want to make a piece of shit fucking Assassin's Creed style thing. I want to make the app, you know, apparently maybe they're still doing the um, uh, the, the one of Tom Holland. Um, oh, uh, Uncharted. Uncharted. Maybe that's still happening. Who knows? Yeah, apparently that's filming at the moment. So... Apparently the stories are good in it. I mean, surely The Last of Us, incredible success mm-hmm. uh, of a game that apparently has an amazing story. Yeah. So, you know, maybe someone will pick that up. Bioshock is just sitting there waiting for someone, this incredible mm-hmm. story to go, hey, someone's already written a story. It's got an attached we to it. Put it to screen. It's got an amazing uh, brand already because you know, millions of gamers around the world have already played it. Yeah. So uh, I know I've been selling this line now for... Six or seven years. <laughs> I'll be right eventually. Yeah. Hey, just like Trump says about coronavirus, one day it'll just disappear. One it'll day be... it'll just happen. You know, a stop, stop clock is right twice a day. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, I think that kind of brings us to the end of the show. I, I think so. Um, yeah. I apologize for everyone who tunes in just to hear me talk crap, but um. Uh, with um, three podcasts a week to record uh, and a job, <laughs> um, it, sometimes you gotta. Sometimes I just, I just, um, I just don't have time for a, a new shows. But uh, I, I did mention it a couple of weeks ago. Probably my, my main time sink of late has been Seven Days to Die. Okay. The, uh, on you can get on Steam. It is, uh, as George said, not very uh, certainly a real left field choice for me because it is a zombie survival game, mm-hmm. zombie survival crafting game. Mm-hmm. It's still yep. in alpha. <laughs> it's been out. Okay. For, still, it's it's been out for years, but it's still in alpha. 
Um, so do you like Minecraft? Like, do you like Minecraft but go, shit, I wish there was more to do? Um, then maybe okay. Seven Days to Die is for you because it's a game where uh, there are missions. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing particularly demanding. It's like go to this building, kill all the zombies, find the thing, bring it back to the guy. Um, okay. There are zombies wandering around the world who you have to kill, and they are a real threat. So they're not like – it's not just at night like in Minecraft. The entire world can be destroyed. <laughs> all the, all the, not when I say you can – I don't mean you can blow up the entire world. I mean the, every element in the game can be destroyed or broken down. Wow, okay. So if you're in a building and you want to get on the other side of that wall, it's going to take you a while, but if you get a pickaxe, you can get through that wall. Um, so, Boy, Andy Dufresne. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's um, it, it, everything is It's kind of what we kind of want from a game, right? Like if there's a wall, you can take it down if you have enough time and effort. So, um, And you can build things, craft things, you know, uh, and I guess the main conceit of the game is every seven days – is Horde Night. Okay. Which basically means a giant horde of zombies will find you and attack you wherever you are. Okay. So, and they get increasingly more difficult and, you know, larger in terms of numbers and uh, strength for zombies as, you know, you work um, through the game. So you do get very good at your seven times table. Um, (laughs) um, And so, you know. Now that I don't like this game, I'm learning things. Pretty much, <laughs> so, you know, and like you know, you can probably fend off the first couple reasonably easily with some fairly light um, defenses. But you know, now I'm up to uh, level day ninety one horde. Okay. Uh, I have a reinforced concrete bunker, um, which they you basically just stand and fight, and you can't run from them. They will find you wherever you are. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> I, that's been my time. Think I'm probably two hundred hours in. Over the last couple of uh, last month on wow. this thing, it's okay. really quite addictive. Like I really liked Minecraft in a way, yeah. Um, but I just found it a little bit empty because once you build a house, you're like, cool. I built a cool house. <laughs> what next? Build yourself in the game a living version of you. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Um, so um, this is, <laughs> seven days ago, I kind of solves that for me. It kind of. I love zombies, and I enjoy crafting, and, and that kind of thing that kind of puts them together nicely in a, in a nice package. So if you um if you're wondering why more recently I've had less TV to talk about than my co-host is because that's been my time sink. And that's that's perfectly good. I uh, just yesterday I picked up a new game on Switch, Hades. And um, I will have more to talk about next week on that one. So that's a teaser for next week. Very good. Yeah. Um, okay, well, next week we're going to talk about Child's Play. We'll be talking about Hades. We probably mm-hmm. won't talk about Seven Days to Die because I just did. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anything else that sort of tickles our interest. Yeah, but until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Um, please like, subscribe, share, all of that stuff over on Twitch, over on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, follow us and grab our podcast, which the new, last week's episode is now available on podcast services. The last thing that I would actually like to talk about is everyone out there, I am as of tomorrow for all of October, I have a goal of walking 150 kilometers for Australian mental health. And I am playing, uh, hoping that I'll be able to get that 150 kilometers done within 10 days. That is my own personal goal within a goal. So if you do want to uh, show your support, 
Um, please go. I will give you the link right now, ladies and gentlemen, because I am so badly organized. I haven't got it up. Uh, da, 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 da. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, ah, yes. It's onefootforward.org.au slash George Terran. You can sponsor me there if you can. If you can't, then please just share it around and get as many eyeballs on it as possible because um, supporting people who have mental health requirements is very, very important. Absolutely. That's a wonderful cause, and uh, I encourage all our Russian bots to contribute as many rubles as they can. And Canadian bots and anywhere else that has bots that would be interested in wasting their time. Especially if I have money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, we've been the Armchair Producers. Good night. Good night.